Good day, everyone, and welcome to today's COSIDA's webinar, SIDs as Leaders. This is the first webinar in our June Stewart Leadership Series. If you haven't realized already, the June Stewart Leadership Series was launched this past fall, and the intention with the series was to help educate those in the profession about creating a better work experience, not only for themselves, but also for others within their unit. Two, the JSLS, and that's how we sort of put it in short form, uh, it offers some insights, some tips, some podcasts, some webinars, all resources on how to better advocate for yourself, as well as those within your unit of sports information. Today's webinar and a full transcript, it will be provided courtesy of NACTUS, or not NACTUS, COSIDAS, corporate partner, that's ASAP Sports, and it'll be available later this afternoon in the COSIDA Connect online community. So with all that as the background, and as all that is our setup, let me introduce to you our three panelists. My name is Trip Durham. I am a NACMA past president, and that's where my acronym got messed up a few minutes ago. And I'm also the founder and owner of 2D Consulting LLC here in North Carolina. Our panelists are from all over the country. We'll first introduce to you Sarah Braun. She arrived at Rogers State after two years at the Mid-America Christian University. That's in Oklahoma City. That's where she was the school's first full-time sports information director. She was promoted to the role of associate AD for external ops in July of 16 after helping uh, Rogers State earn full membership into NCAA Division II. She also serves as RSU's SWA as well, so wearing a whole lot of hats. She's a 2007 graduate of Oklahoma Baptist University, earning a degree in public relations. Moving to Dr. Christine Kelly now. She arrived at Dartmouth in August of 2018 after spending two years as the athletic director at Keene State. That's where she oversaw a group of more than 35, yes, I said 35 people she supervised both in coaching and staff administration. Through all that, there were 18 sports that she had to keep a handle on with the Division Three Owls at the time. Christine is the Senior Associate AD for Varsity Sports and the SWA for the Big Green. She is a 2000 grad of a school here in North Carolina, Johnson C. Smith, just outside of Charlotte and she's got two bachelor's degrees in physical education and community arts. And last but certainly not least, the AD of our group, Omar Banks, he is at Campbell. He arrived at Campbell after spending some time in Blacksburg. And while he was at Virginia Tech, Omar served as the CFO for two years in the 44th largest collegiate athletic department in the nation. Uh, he was named the athletic director of Campbell on June 25th, 2019, and Omar began his collegiate career in 1998 at North Carolina State as a media intern with sports information. So all of these folks have a pretty good feel of what sports information is all about, and that's why they're part of the panel today. To boot, Omar was also a student athlete with football for the Richmond Spiders, and that's where he got his undergrad. So all that said, I'm hyperventilating now. Let me tee up a question so that we can get into the panel discussion. Christine, we will start with you. We're just going to jump right in. Your bio, as we just made mention a few minutes ago, you oversaw a group of more than 35 coaches and staff, 18 sports at Keene State. 
when you think about your relationship with them, how did you perceive their value as a supervisor? And really my question is rooted into the idea of best practice and giving our SIDs a tip or two about how they can continue to develop their interpersonal skills with their supervisors. So take it away. Well, thank you, Tripp, and you know, also to everyone who's joining us today, shout out to all the SIDs that's out there. I'm still an SID at heart. I may not physically be an SID right now, but I'm still an SID. Um, so to answer your question, Tripp, what I will say is, first of all, you have to recognize that they're all individuals. No two coaches are the same. And I think you know, everyone, regardless if you're an SID, if you're a marketing person, if you're an academic, everyone wants to be heard. They want to feel valued. They want to feel supported. And sometimes... You know, your coaches or your, your staff just need a space to vent. And so one of the things that I did was uh, have one-on-one -on -one discussions with all of our head coaches at least once a month. And that was very important because, again, when you're at a Division three institution, it's hard to, you know, navigate. You're one person, you know, dealing with a whole lot of different things. I mean, here at Dartmouth, I'm, I'm lucky where we have a, a huge team of people, so it's not just me. But at, when I was a Keene State as the athletic director, it it took a lot to be able to have all those meetings because you still have to have time for meetings on campus and meetings with your student athletes and being visible. So the one thing that I will always say is make sure that you recognize everyone as individuals. And then, you know, for my SIDs out there, get to know your supervisor. I think that's important for them to be able to get to know you as well. We are, again, we're all individuals. Ask them out to lunch. Um, you know, have those one-on-one -on -one meetings. Don't make your first conversation be about something that you need or promotion that you want. I understand that, you know, a lot of us are, are millennials. I'm not a millennial, but, um, you know, a lot of our SIDs now are millennials and they want the here and the now, but don't make your first conversation with your supervisor about something that you want. You know, just get to know them and have, have them have an opportunity to get to know you because then they can be your best advocate as well. So those are just some of the things that, that I did at Team State. Now, that's a great follow-up, too, as we start to move towards Sarah. Sarah, how do you explain, especially in your role as SID in your last stop, where you were the first ever SID, using that sort of as your muse, how do you explain to people what your role is? And how do you create that value within the rest of the athletic staff? To Christine's point, you certainly don't want to do it on the first conversation, but how have you gone about making sure that people know what it is you do? Yeah, I think that's definitely really important. Um, one thing, I was 23 years old. It was my first job out of college. And so I really heavily relied on the veteran SIDs in our conference. Um, I was in the Sooner Athletic Conference. There were a lot of great SIDs, including my mentor at Oklahoma Baptist, who I'd worked under as a student and a student athlete at OBU. And so I really leaned on him and a couple of other great SIDs in our conference to help me navigate through those that first year as a first-time SID. They'd never had an SID at Matthew before, so um, that was something that became really important to me, that mentorship and getting inv involved in NAI SIDA and CoSIDA um, became really important. I met great people and was able to bounce ideas off them, like how do I show my value and tell people how important this job is and so they really helped me with that and um our it took a while uh but i was definitely able to show how important the sports information role was to the university and i still follow them via social media and their website and i love to see the things that they've done now 10 to 12 years later there um 
and from where it started to where they've come now, it's exciting to know that I got to be a small part of that 10 years ago. Sarah, did you have an aha moment at such a young age in which it clicked for you saying, oh, okay, yes, now I know that I'm conveying to other people what it is I do and what my value is? I think something Christine said is really important, getting to know the people you work with, getting to know your boss and his ticks and our coaches and how how they work and how they run because all of them are different. And so you had to approach each of them a little bit differently. And I think that is something that I learned. And once I learned the way to communicate with each of those people differently, they started to respect me and the job I did and the value that I was able to add to the department. And they started to, you know, gain that trust and um, it became a great relationship because of that. Omar, Sarah talks about that wide range of people, even though we did not mention it in your bio, you've had a wide range of experiences, both in the nonprofit world of college athletics, but also you've spent some time in the for-profit world. From that perspective of seeing it from both sides, with the thought of conveying value within the Department of Sports Information, how does a communications administrator establish or perpetuate the brand of who they are? Great question. And again, thank you for all the SIDs that are out there listening to this. Um, I'm really humbled that people are actually taking time to listen to all three of us. So with that being said, I would say, you know, knowing yourself, um, I've always tried to do a good job of making sure that I portray who I am um, to others and be consistent. Um, you know, ID what your core values are and you got to live by them and they show up every day, right? In what you do in your job, you know, how you communicate to others, the behaviors that you display, and ultimately it's going to reflect in how others see you. Christine, along to yourself, that- Know yourself, live through your values. Yeah, you had a little bit of a digital birth there on your side, Omar, so I didn't mean to jump you. Go ahead and finish out your thoughts. Uh-oh, he's yeah, it looks like that Omar may be freezing a little bit. So, Christine, well, can, let me... Can I just uh, just add on a little bit to what Please. Omar was saying? When you talk about the brand, I mean, we each have a brand, right? Regardless of if we're an SID, if we're an administrator or, or whichever. However, the one thing that I do want to talk about is, you know, with SIDs, you're always going to have the technical aspect of the job. You're always going to you know, have to do the stats. You're always going to do the website. You know, there are all those different uh, pieces that are there. And it's really hard to quantify what an SID does. So sometimes there's a lot of people put a lot of value in the, the marketing people because you can go with how many butts in the seats or you can go with, you know, your um, your development people and your fundraising folks and how much money they can bring in. And But with SIDs, it's hard to quantify that. So what I always say is just ensure that, you you know, you are, you're able to be respected and you present yourself in a respectful type of way. And when I say present yourself, I remember when I was an SID, similar to Sarah, I was 23 when I started I used to wear sweats to work every day. So how would I be perceived as an administrator or more than just, quote unquote, just an SID if I'm coming to work dressed as if I'm, I can sweep the floor today? Now, granted, we all sweep the floors, but you'll see me now. I'm sweeping the floors in a suit. There's a difference. So understand that brand and perceiving and presenting yourself in a very professional way, too. Omar, as you come back online, Christine was just making the point about personal appearance as being part of the brand. And while perception should not be solely about that outer 
presentation. How important is it to come to work buttoned up? And I mean that literally and metaphorically, whether it's with a tie or with a sweater vest. How important is that presentation, at least from what you see as an athletic director? And Omar's microphone may not be re-engaged now that he's back online. Give Can it a shot. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? You are good. Go. Got it. So I think it's very important. You know, some people, um, one person's perception is someone else's reality. And if someone is seeing you for the first time, and again, if you're wearing sweats and you look like you just stepped off the city bus after five transfers, you know, unfortunately, that's what somebody's going to look like and say, this person is might not be professional. So it is a part of the brand and it is something that should be very, very seriously considered. Sarah, there's a little bit of a follow up to our uh, your answer a little while ago, and it's within that realm of advocacy, something that we talked about at the top. Um, how do you advocate for yourself? There are obviously several different elements within sports information. You know, butts and seat is a metric in which you could advocate the number of press releases or stories or personal profiles that you put out. That could be an advocacy metric. But how do you know how to advocate for yourself? Is it something that you put a full court press on? Are you subtle about the advocacy, uh, the advocacy for yourself? How do you go about it or how have you seen people go about it in the right way? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, you advocate for yourself differently with different people. So I think it depends on who you're talking with and um, who you're trying to advocate um, with. I think building relationships becomes really important and not just in the athletic department, but also in the community and on your campus. Um, letting them know how you can add value and showing them. I think that's a big part of it too, is being able to show the value that you add through hard work and dedication and um, being out. Yeah, the um, the idea of casting your shadow on campus, making sure that people know who you are, just that simple movement of going to somebody else's office across campus, that creates an element of advocacy, doesn't it? It really does. And I think, too, getting involved on campus has been really great for me um, because being able to collaborate with other units on campus has bridged gaps between athletics and faculty or athletics and student affairs. And having those relationships has been really beneficial to me as a professional, but also to our athletic department as a whole. Christine, what are the elements, what are the traits of a good advocate? I think one is being a good listener. And I, I think we talked talked about that a little bit earlier where a lot of people just want to be heard. And I think that's really, really important, being respectful, um, letting your employees know that they are heard, that they're valued, and that they're understood. I think that's the one thing that the three of us, Omar, Sarah, and myself, and others who are, are roles similar, similar to ours, can do. We have that seat at the table right now, and it's important for us to use that voice that we have. I think Jackie McWilliams, who's the commissioner of the uh, CIAA down in Charlotte, one thing that she said is if you don't have a seat at the table, you need to get to know someone who does and allow that person to advocate for you. And, you know, I think that's, that's just really, really important, advocating for each other and understanding the needs of, of your area. So, again, as you are that person, let's say you are the SID and you want 
something, I don't know, some new equipment that's out there. How do you explain those priorities to your supervisor or to your athletic director? You have to understand what the priorities are. And I think being an advocate, so if I'm in that role, I can sit and help that our SID. I was actually in a meeting earlier today talking about how we need more people and we need bodies. In, in our varsity athletics communications area. And I said it so that he could hear me say it, knowing that, you know, he and I just talked about this yesterday, but that's letting him know that I heard him, that I understood what he was saying, and that I was going to go to bat for him and for that area as well. So I think being a good listener, asking, and honestly, asking, how are you? Because again, we get so bogged down with all the specifics and technical aspects of the job, we forget that our SIDs are just people, just like we're people. So ask them, how are you doing? Ask about their, their hobbies, you know, those types of things. Get to know that individual. I fell into a trap at Elon years ago in which I would just pick up the phone and just launch right into my question with somebody. And there was one colleague that would always just take a breath and say, I'm fine, Trip. How are you this morning? So yeah. there is that need just to be empathetic. Just take that quick 15 or 20 seconds to say, yeah, I'm doing well. How are you? And then you just sort of like re ease right on into it. Absolutely. Omar, you've got a, a ton of people that are coming to you on a regular basis advocating for either themselves professionally or for the department that they are a part of. Sports information directors always advocating, athletic directors always hearing. But how do you know to take what is being advocated for and actually act upon it? What within the culture, what within the framework tells you, okay, that's something I need to go act on? You know, that's another really good question. Um, you know, being in this chair now for five months, it's really been just that a lot of listening, a lot of advocating. Um, you can actually call it testing. People are trying to see what they can get, um, how I'm going to respond. I think the biggest thing for me is, like you said, you have to discern what actions to take. Uh, for me, it's really, it goes down to a couple things. You're managing the flow of information because everybody's asking for things. But again, knowing your core values and understanding the mission, vision, and values of your department, you know, those things that fall in line with student athlete welfare, those are things that really get my antennas up very quickly because I want to make sure that our student athletes are having the best experience possible. So whenever I hear something, in the line of a student athlete or something that could be a potential issue. I'm always listening to that. But again, you have to discern um, the facts from the fluff and make the decisions. Uh, a lot of times, again, Christine said it earlier, you know, you got to get to know people. Um, I've had people since I've been here, you know, it's a lot of crying wolf and things that are so small that I, I really don't understand why they're asking me the question. However, I go back to the whole testing. They want to know how I'm going to respond. And again, trying to discern what's urgent, what's important, what's urgent and important, what's not urgent, what's not important. So it's really a lot of listening. And for me, it's a, it's, it is a learning process. As a CFO, I had the opportunity to hear a lot of different issues, but they were all financial in nature. Now I'm hearing all the issues, whether or not it's financially related. So now it's a different filter that I have to put on and really be discerning, have that discerning ear in order to make the right decisions. 
As we are halfway through our webinar, I will remind those who are tuned in live that they can ask questions via the comment box or the chat box on the dashboard. And for those who are listening to this on demand via podcast, sorry you don't get such luxury, but hopefully the next 20 minutes or so will will play out. Sarah, Omar talked about testing. When you started the sports information department years ago at Mid-American Christian, you were at a young age. Did you find that people were testing you? during this process of startup? Absolutely. <laughs> there were a lot of times that I had to make decisions and I was in uncharted waters several times, but I think a lot of times I had to learn how to get tough really fast, but you know, making sure that um, even if I had to say no to someone or I had to prioritize, you know, we had 16 sports, one SID, um, no student worker budget. It was a really small operation at the time. Um, you know, I had to prioritize things and, um, you know, make sure they understood the why. Um, everyone always wants to know the why. And so making sure you were able to articulate and communicate why someone else's um, things that they were advocating for or their game or whatever it might be had to come before what another coach wanted or another administrator wanted. Um, I think communicating that became really important and something I had to learn really fast. So you said no, but then backed it up with the why. Is that part of your protocol in making sure the interpersonal relationships don't get askew? Right. I think that is a big part. Communication is so important. And for the most part, what I've learned, whether it be at Mid-America or at Rogers State, People just want to feel included. They want to know what the reasoning is behind your answer, whether it's a yes or no, and so or a maybe. Um, so I think that's something that I really had to work on and make sure that I knew what my why was to everything that I do. Are you good at saying no now, Sarah? I've gotten a lot better. <laughs> With time, you get a lot better at that. Um, I'm still working on that, um, especially, you know, I got really involved in, on campus, but now I feel like I might be overly involved in the campus and community. So I've had to start learning how to say uh, no to some of those things a little bit better. But um, yeah, it, it does get a little bit easier. The longer you're in the profession and um, the more confidence you have. I think you have to be confident in your reasoning and, um, you know, know what your values are, like Omar said earlier. And if you go at it with confidence and you have a good communication, um, I have found that that makes things go a lot smoother, especially when you have to say no. Christina and Omar, I want to split off onto that rail just for a second. Inside sports information, I can I have this vision. I remember it from my days on campus that there's this stream of people coming into sports information and a stream of people leaving. And they're always coming in asking something and they're always leaving with an answer yes or no. If you develop the way to say no and back it up with the why in sports information, do you, as a follow-up to the brand conversation, are you setting a tone? for what is the brand of sports information by the way you handle the yeses and the noes? You guys deal with so many people. Christine, you did at your last stop, and Omar, you certainly do right now. Do you develop your own personality by saying no that other people can talk about? Christine? I would, I would say yes, 
because for me, I can tell people, I tell people this all the time, I can say no with a smile, like literally, I, and I do that, because I think you can say no and you can, you know, to Sarah's point, you can communicate your point the way it needs to be communicated without being nasty. And I think sometimes people come across just as angry or just not really um, being empathetic and or sympathetic to the situation that's happening. But, you know, getting people to understand that why, the why behind the what. Because a lot of times people don't really understand that. And you have to be able to do that. I mean, in my, even though I was the athletic director at Keene State overseeing 35 coaches and staff, I have probably close to double that right now at Dartmouth in my role as a senior associate AD, you know, overseeing quite a bit of sports and a much larger portfolio. So you talk about managing all kinds of different people and, you know, their own focus and that type of thing and having to say no. I mean, it's, but again, you have to have, the data and the analytics that goes along behind it. You can't be anecdotal in anything that you do. And I think sometimes as a former SID, I saw myself just being anecdotal because it was all about my my feelings and how I felt. And you have to take the emotions out of it and really just say, here's the data. Here's why we need this extra person because now we're required to stream all of our games on ESPN+. Plus. And in order to do that, we have to have someone to do it. And according to the you know Ivy League rules, we have to do this. So just be very specific and very data driven behind it and not just so anecdotal. So Omar, Omar, your thoughts as well. Can you set a tone throughout the rest of the department on how it is that you handle the word no or even the word yes? Actually, yes, you can. I I, I, I agree with everything that uh, Christine said. You know, in my role as a financial CFO, you know, a lot of times I was the heavy um, in saying no to on a lot of things just because, again, resources are finite. So there's only so much you can do. I think for those that know me that have worked with me, I, I never tried to be a no person. I always tried to be a no but. And let's try to figure out a solution. And let's get down to all of the different pathways to see whether or not the answer is truly no, or if it's something that we can talk about and figure out a different avenue in order to achieve the goal that we both want. And so, you can get branded as a no, but I do think, at least in my career, that people saw me as someone that tried to solve problems. And if my if I said no, my no really meant no. And you had the data behind it. You had everything that substantiated why it was no, and people would not get upset by it. Now, there are times where I just say, no, get out of my face. And, you know, th that's a different tact. However, I think I always tried to make sure that I was a no but type of person to try to work towards the solution. Yeah, I always think back to when you were a kid and you asked your mom in the grocery store, can I have that candy bar? And all you got as a kid was no. There's no reasoning as to why the answer was no. And so you were just left as a kid to wonder, well, why not? But I do think we take that into our adulthood. And if we can help the why behind the answer. That truly gets us where we need to be. This last block of questions, as we start to round out our time, I really want to focus on leadership. And I'll ask all three of you, and Omar, we'll start with you first. Um, do you have to be a leader in order to be an advocate? Omar, go. No. Uh, Knowing why? Yeah, I was no, say right. I'm there just you kidding, go. Just kidding. But no, in order to be a, 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 I will say this: in order to be an advocate, you don't have to be a leader. But if you're going to be, in wait, if you if if do you have to be a leader to be an advocate? The answer is no. But if you're an advocate, there are certain elements of leadership that you have to display. 
because you are very passionate about a cause, about a piece of equipment, about a social media stance, but you have to be able to stand out and take the right approach as a leader to be the advocate if it's something that you feel very passionate about. Sarah, do you have to be a leader in order to be an advocate? I think I agree with Omar. I think, but I do think everyone does have leadership qualities and, you know, everyone is a leader in their own right. And, you know, SIDs, especially as an SID, I was so passionate about what I did. And I thought, you know, it's so important, the different things that SIDs provide for student athlete experience for the university. They're a big part of the front porch of the university is athletics and who's getting that out there, the SIDs. And so, you know, I don't think you have to necessarily be in a leadership role to advocate for yourself, but to be an advocate, you have to, you know, be able to back up what you're um, wanting to sell or what, what you're wanting to advocate for. Um, being able to articulate that um, to a leader is important. Dr. Kelly? I agree with both Omar and Sarah that absolutely you don't have to be a leader to be an advocate, but like uh, Sarah and Omar both said, you do have to have a leadership quality. Are you, again, I keep going back to listening and in communication. Are you listening to what is it this person is asking for? And I think that's just really, really important. Do you believe in what it is they're asking for? You know, when you talk about um, just, you know, some of their goals, you know, are you are you able to help them grow and, and succeed in whatever their goals are in life? I think you can advocate for someone easily, just, but again, you have to get to know that person. Like, I'm not going to advocate for anyone that I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. So I have to be able to believe in you first to, to be able to advocate for you. It's like writing a letter of recommendation, right? You want one yes. that is four or five paragraphs strong, not just a tertiary one paragraph, because you really don't Absolutely. know if you can advocate for them. Absolutely. So true. Very true. I'm going to tweak the uh, question. I'd originally had the idea of talking about transparency and honesty as a leader. You've already covered some of that. And I think mm -hmm. the way that I'm going to shape this question is going to sound a bit odd, but is it hard as a leader? Is it hard to be transparent? Is it hard to be honest? Transparency is such a buzzword over the last five or 10 years. But is it hard to maintain transparency and honesty? Uh, Sarah, I'll give that to you first. The hard question, thanks. Um, no, I think with that, I think trust, I think you have to build trust. And with some of, I've worked for four athletic directors in the last 10 years at Rogers State, and um, they're, some of my greatest mentors still, Ren Baker, who's now at North Texas, Ryan Bradley um, is at Alabama, and um, Ryan Irwin is now at East Texas Baptist. Those three men were very transparent and um, very trustworthy. And so, you know, being the SWA, I really um, got to be involved and I've always had a seat at the table. But sometimes there are things that they can't always lay all the cards on the table. Um, but I always trusted that they had RSU's best interest at heart. And so I think gaining trust of your staff, of the people you work with, um, becomes really important because sometimes there might be something that happens in the president's cabinet's meeting that, you know, you can't be transparent with your whole staff about, but knowing that I always knew that those people had um, RSU's best interest at heart and I trusted 
the way they were leading our athletic department. And so for me, um, I think, you know, it can sometimes be hard to be transparent, um, but honesty and trustworthiness, if you have those two, um, the transparency will come. Christine, do you want that one next? Sure, I'll take it a little bit of that. Uh, what I will say, again, and I think Sarah hit, hit the nail on the head in terms of transparency, that you're not going to be always able to share everything that's happening. Your, your, your gut, you may want to be able to say, hey, you know what, if you don't get it together, you're not going to have a job next year type of thing. Um, you, but sometimes you just can't say that. We live in such a litigious society that, you know, silence can never be misquoted, as, as the saying goes. So it's very hard to do that. But for me, I live with integrity. I think all of us live with, you know, a level of integrity that we have to be able to go home and put our heads down at night and know that we've done everything we could do to lead our departments or our units in the best possible way, one that I would be proud of, proud to, to for my parents to read or, or see about it. So I think it's important to have that, that honesty and that transparency as much as you possibly can, because I don't think any of us have enough money to be sued by anyone. But at the end of the day, it, you know, as transparent as you can be, but again, that goes back to lining up with your vision and your mission and understanding what it is. So if I have to say no, you can understand why I'm saying no and not just me saying no. So hopefully that, that explains a little bit more. Omar, there's a lot there, and you're not allowed to say ditto, okay? So your thoughts? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 everything is spot on from my, my perspective. I didn't say ditto. Sure, you're um, right. But, um, you know, honesty is one of those leadership qualities. It's probably one of the most, if not the most important leadership quality that um, allows people to trust and gravitate towards leaders. And when you have honesty from leadership, I do think transparency becomes more trust, if that makes sense, because you're trusting that the leader has shown you enough, you know, through his intentions, his or her intentions, his or her actions and honesty and integrity that you would understand that you cannot be transparent in every single situation. Therefore, um, you know, that's what I'll get with that. Now, that sounds good. And we've got a question that has come in from the general membership. And Christine, we'll let you take a crack at it first. What's sure. the best What's the best piece of advice you can offer a sports information director, regardless where it is in their journey? What's the advice you can offer if they want to advance through the ranks of administration? So I talked about presentation. Uh, I'm, what I'm also going to say is do the best job where you are. And I understand, and again, if this is, you know, no offense to my millennials, I love you. I'm, I'm raising one, I think, sort of. Um, but in terms of the millennials, you can't just start a job right now and expect to be promoted in two to three months. That's just not how this works. Do the best job you can where you are. And I always use this term in any podcast or any webinar I've done. Oh, I'll say I use this, this statement is to bloom where you're planted, so like a flower, you bloom, bloom where you're planted, but go where you're celebrated and not tolerated. Understand that you're responsible for your own growth and your own success. However, while you're there, sometimes you may have reached the ceiling, and that's okay. You can't, you know, hold your employer back or, you know, hold them, you know, against the wall because you've decided you need to be an assistant AD or an associate AD, and there's just not a spot there. That's okay. Sometimes you, in order for you to grow, you have to go somewhere. So do the best job where you are. Present yourself. Let your intentions be known. Let you know. Understand what your goals are. Have you? If you just started a job, you don't know if you like the job or don't like the job. I can tell you, 
you know, when I did, um, I worked in, in parks and recreation for about nine months, I knew that's not where I needed to be. So, but it took me some time to understand to get to that point. So do the best job where you are, let your intentions be known, and don't get, you know, discouraged. Sometimes you may apply for seven jobs, you may get knocked down seven, and then, but you have to get up eight. So understand that you have to continue to work at it. And every job isn't a good job. Every position isn't a good position. You know, this, this job may have been perfect for Omar, but may not have worked for me. And that's okay. So again, do the best where you are and, you know, find a mentor, find an advocate, because those are two different things. You know, a mentor can just talk with you. An advocate is someone who's going to sit there at the table for you and be able to speak on your behalf and be able to just grow and do the best job where you are. Sarah, a comment from the general membership. This person does not see many people moving from a single gender school into leadership positions within a co-ed university. Uh, is that a misperception, misconception? Are you seeing that type of lack of movement? You know, I've never really looked at it like that, so I'm not really sure. I've done three administrative searches in the last year. Um, and that's not something that I really look at, you know, whenever we're um, looking at resumes, um, what their background, whether it's a single gender school or not. So that's not something that from my time at RSU that we've looked at. Omar, anything on your radar screen to that? You know, I, 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 I don't have anything on my radar screen, but I will say that, I, I, it, I mean, athletics is athletics. I mean, I, I think it's much easier to move from a single gender school to a co-ed school if it's at the same level, like Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, than it would be maybe moving from, you know, a junior college to, you know, a Division One school. I do believe that the rules are the same. I mean, we still fall under the same NCAA umbrella. Therefore, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I haven't experienced that. I don't know anyone that may have experienced that, but I do know that um, it seems to me that athletics is athletics and that any move based on the qualifications of any individual, that should be the key merit that gets taken into consideration when applying for a job. Christine, an interesting question. Any thoughts? Yeah, actually, I mean, even though I've never, you know, similar to Sarah and Omar, I've never really heard about the single gender and where it's kind of hard for you to move from that to a co-ed institution. I think to Omar's point, you find a lot of people who understand their, their why and institutions that fit their core values. So for some people, it may be the, the more commercial side of things where, you know, you find your power five schools where it's just more like a, a commercial enterprise, and that's fine. You may have others who feel historically black colleges where they need to be, or minority-serving institutions, or, you know, in my case, some people may find that being at, at a high academic school. So you have all these, you know, large schools, you have the, the private schools, the public schools, you go on and on and on. So I think sometimes it's probably easier to say, okay, if I'm an administrator, I'm looking at a new coach, does that person understand high academic institutions? Because the recruiting is different. The, you know, the philosophies are different, and that's okay. There's a place for everyone. But what I will say to that person who asked the question, you know, what have you put out there? Have you put yourself to be labeled, for lack of a better term, as just a single gender institution type of SID? Have you volunteered at, at COSIDA? Have you gone to your conference championships and worked there? Have you, you know, found other mentors or advocates for you who are at co-ed institutions? 
do people know you? Because and do they understand your goals? So you can't put limits on yourself. I tell people I'm a young, I'm a person from the U.S. Virgin Islands living in New Hampshire, went to a historically black college, working at an Ivy League school. I mean, come on. It's, you know, when you talk about the differences, you know, D1, D2, and D3, so I can't necessarily say that I've been just in one area, but it's because people understood my goals and understood that I'm up for any challenge. So you never want to just, you know, put yourself in a box where people just think, oh, well, she only wants to be a single gender, he or she, at single gendered institutions. So hopefully that helps that, that uh, person who wrote that information. Uh, excuse me. I, yeah, I appreciate that from all three of you. Uh, last question. I'm sort of going off script here, but I do want to get some feedback from each of the three of you. It sort of is in the same line of um, do you have to be a leader to be an advocate with so many different people within the COSIDA membership who are experiencing <laughs> a different level in their own journey? My question is this. Can you be a leader even if you are a follower? Sarah? Absolutely. I think that um, every leader looks a little bit different. And I think that, you know, I everyone leads differently. Some people lead from, you know, a, the second chair. You know, I recently read a book about leading from the second chair. And the way that I lead looks very different than the way that our athletic director leads. But um, I feel like both way, both people show value and have value. And so um, I think that to be a good leader, you have to be a follower. Our AD is following, you know, our president, who's the leader of our university. Um, so I think that you have to be a good follower to also be a good leader. Um, so I think it's, that's very important. Omar, I see the head bob from you. So your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I don't know anyone that literally graduated from high school or college and directly immediately became an athletic director. So everyone had to follow someone in some way and they did it well. So it starts with yourself. You know, you have a goal, you work towards that goal. Um, but at the end of the day or the next day, you at some point in your career will be a follower. And what do you do in order to make yourself a leader? You start with yourself and you lead yourself very well. Christine, you get the last word. Oh, can I say ditto? I mean, yeah. Sarah and Omar literally just hit on everything that I would have possibly said. You absolutely can lead whether you're from the middle of the pack or the back of the pack. Because the way I look at it, leadership is cyclical, right? So you're not going to always be at the top. You're not going to always be at the bottom. You have peaks and valleys. So, you know, find where you are and lead from where you are. You know, sometimes SIDs say, well, I need sport oversight. I need to have sport supervision. No, you don't. You, I mean, personnel management is personnel management. You can oversee your work studies. You can oversee your interns. That's, super, that's human resource management right there. So, but again, you don't have to be in this athletic director role to lead. I mean, if that were the case, most of our Ivy League schools that have over 1,000 student athletes and, you know, 250 coaches and staff, there's no way we would get it done if it's only the AD that's leading. We all have to lead from different areas. And I think that's what makes us successful and makes us a team. There's no I in team. And we will leave it right there. Sarah Braun, Christine Kelly, Omar Banks, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a Folks, great day. Happy New Year. We do thank our Good three year. guests. We thank them for their insights uh, as we do kick off this June Stewart Leadership Series webinar component. A reminder to all COSIDA listeners that the webinar and the full transcript 
from ASAP Sports will be available on demand later on today in the COSIDA Connect online community. COSIDA will also be repurposing this as a podcast, so you can spend a little bit of time in the car or working in the yard and listening to the insights from these three individuals. So until next time, my name is Trip Durham. I appreciate the opportunity, and you guys have a great week. Bye. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, team.